You're listening to the teaching of Calvary Paris. For more information, go to www.calvaryparis.com. So I want to discuss something today that I think we all have struggled with a time or two. We have all struggled with it a time or two. The roller coaster battle, the roller coaster emotion of worry. You see, I want us to see what anxiety, fear, and worry really are. It's the opposite of whimsy, the rival of rest. And what I'm big on, it's the antithesis of joy. It's the opposite of joy. Now, this is something I have personally struggled with my entire life. And my dad, knowing this growing up, he kind of created this mantra for me and even our family. He said, Danny, I want you to live by the 11th commandment. The 11th commandment, Dad? I thought there was only 10. Yeah. Thou shalt not sweat it. Thou shalt not sweat it. Shake it off. The Lord's got it. And sometimes I'm able to live by that 11th commandment. Sometimes I'm able to like, yeah, that's right. God's got it. We're, we're good. We're good. I don't need to sweat it. I don't need to worry. But other times I'm an emotional wreck truly freaking out on the inside. My mind's going 100 miles an hour. For example, the birth of my firstborn son, Isaac. And he's now 11, and it goes just like that. But I remember when, when I, was, I was at work, and I get the call from my wife, honey, I think I'm going into labor. It's time to come home and take me to the hospital. And she's kind of freaking out, and I'm like, okay. And right away, I was like, 11th commandment, thou shalt not sweat. You're about to have a boy. It's going to be amazing. And so I was so 11th commandmenting that on the way to pick her up, I stopped by Jiffy Lube to get an oil change. <laughs> and, and I remember, yeah, just being there, giving the guys high fives. They're like, hey, how's it going? And I was like, yeah, my wife's going to have a baby today. She's in labor. They're like, what are you doing here? I was like, ah, that's cool. And then I, I pull in, and I'm like, hey, honey, I'm here. And she's like, where have you been? I was like, oh, I was getting an oil change because I didn't want the car to break down on the way to the hospital. So didn't go over too well. And then all of a sudden, I saw how freaked out she was. And she was just like, where? Come on. I was like, oh, you are in labor. This is crazy. So then that roller coaster started, and I dipped down to that place of worry like, oh, no, did I wait too long? Was I too chill? What's going on? So then when she's screaming in the car like, get me there now. And then we get in, and she's in full-on labor. Nurses are freaking out like, Hey, you got to chill out. And she's like, nah, and looking at me like, I hate you, you know, come on. It's not an easy thing. And so we're there. And, and, and then, then I went down to the car to get something. And those doc, those sneaky doctors talked her into an epidural because they were tired of hearing her. And they're like, Hey, we're going to give you. So I come in and they're sticking a needle in her back. And I'm like, Whoa, that's crazy. But I was sure thankful. I went back to that 11th commandment real quick. And she went from being like, ah, to like, what's up? Just tell me when to push. And I was watching Monday Night Football, and I was like, dude, this is not bad. Amazing. There I was, 11th commandment again. But then Isaac was born. And when he was born, what had happened is he inhaled a bunch of meconium, a bunch of junk in his lungs, and he was immediately brought up to the NICU. So there I am in that valley of worry again saying, God, is my son even going to make it? Is he even going to live through this? So there I was wondering, what's going to happen to my son? And I still remember that whole entire week that he was there. I remember when the Lord reminded me of Psalms 121. 
which says I look up to the mountains. Does my help come from there? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let you stumble. The one who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel never slumbers or sleeps. The Lord himself watches over you. It's as if the Lord was saying, Danny, thou shalt not sweat it. My eyes upon you and my eyes upon your son because guess what? I never blink. My eye is always upon you. I'm gonna see him through. I'm gonna see him through. I'm gonna see you through. So I was able to like, okay, you got it, Lord. You will care for him. But I have a feeling I'm not the only one who's prone to worry in this room. Sometimes we're crushing it. We're like, no, it's all good. I know I'm in a trial, but it's all good. Going to Jiffy Lube, pausing, you know, whatever it may be. But then there's other times we are freaking out. Life hits the fan and we, are, we find ourselves in the ER. We find ourselves troubled. We find our, our kids are getting hurt, whatever it may be. And we're freaking out. We are truly, truly worried. So I want to first ask the question, what is worry anyway? What is worry So I went to the Williamson Family Dictionary, sat down with my kids. I wanted to hear their insight on what is worry. So I asked asked them, hey guys, what's your definition of worry? Here's what I got. One of my boys said, paranoid. Okay. My four-year-old, death. I was like, man, it's kind of true. Another one said, afraid of not making a difference or afraid of being different, weird, or standing out. And then my middle boy, Malachi, said, he kind of concluded it with this, and he said, it's, it's, I would say it's fear of the unknown. Fear of the unknown. You're afraid of what's going to happen. You don't know what's going to happen, so you get troubled, and we get worried, and we get afraid. A friend of mine gave me a recent definition of what worry is. He said, worry is temporary atheism. Worry is temporary atheism. Atheism, where we begin to look at our circumstances, begin to forget or not believe that God is there in the midst of them and able to help us through. Now we see what it is, but also why should we be free from it? Because worry is literally killing us. It's literally killing us physically, spiritually, emotionally. The word worry is an Anglo-Saxon word, rigan, which means to choke or strangle. Worry strangles the life from us that Jesus intends for us. Studies have even shown the long-term physical effects from ongoing worry and stress. Things like suppression of the immune system, digestive disorders, Muscle tension, short-term memory loss, premature coronary artery disease, heart attack. We need to deal with this issue of worry. And some of us, if you're like me, you've been struggling, struggling with worry your entire life. All the way back to your childhood. I know I did. Still do. And I remember being in, in season about fifth and sixth grade. And I just went through this real true season of, of worry and, and to the point where anytime I would hear a siren, I grew up in a small town in Northern California and anytime I'd hear this siren go off, the fire alarm, knowing that whether there was an accident or there's a fire or something, I immediately thought that something was going to happen to my mom. I remember I'd be at a friend's house like a mile away and I'd hear this siren and I'd be like, 
oh no. And I'd get on my bike and I'd, I'd race to the house. I'd race to the house and expecting to see like my mom had died or something. She got in an accident or, or whatever it is. And I remember going through the house and I'd be like, and there she is sitting on the couch. I'm like, mom, you're, you're, you're alive. And she's like, yeah, I'm alive. It's okay. I was like, oh my goodness. I mean, it was so bad in my life. I actually had to go see a child psychologist. You know what his name was? Mr. Weiner. Yeah. So Mr. Weiner had to tell me to like chill out. And I'm like, oh, okay. Man, I worried about all kinds of stuff. I remember being in sixth grade and there was a bully. A bully. Bullying's a real thing. And I remember being in sixth grade and there was a bully there. His name was Rudy Brown. And I tell you what, he had to be about six foot eight, 390 pounds. The kid was huge. And he, and it was around February, I still remember, around February time frame, and, and he sees me and he's just like, for whatever reason, I have no idea to this day, he was like, I'm going to kill you. Last day of school, you're dead. And I was like, oh, why? <laughs> you know, just like, why do you want to kill me? But it, it kept going on and on, like every day. This was February, it goes on and in through March and April, and he's like, every day it seemed to be like, wait till the last day of school, you're going to die. I'm like, oh, I remember telling my dad, like, dad, what do I do? He says he's going to kill me, you know, and he's just, he's just like, punch him in the nose, son, if he tries, that kind of thing, you know, and I'm like, okay, so I'm, there I am, getting more and more and more afraid of the last day of school, like, I'm going to die, you know, like, this is it, this is it, so long, sixth grade, or whatever it is, so I come to the last day of school, and there's Rudy Brown, and I was like, oh, no, here it is, and then he walks up, he's like, hey, Danny, How's it going? What are you going to do this summer? Want to hang out or something? And I was like, are you going to kill me? Like all that for nothing. Sometimes, isn't that how it is with life? Like we're so afraid, we're so worried, and then we come to find out, I didn't need to worry about that at all. I'm not going to die from that. Come on. But look, I, I believe that there's some people sitting here today that are probably going through a few more difficult worries than that. Wondering, am I going to lose my job? Is this marriage going to work? Am I going to make it through this sickness that's threatening my life? Will my family member ever be free from this addiction? Will I ever be free from this addiction? We have some true worries and concerns To the point where our stomach is in knots, we can't sleep at night, we're truly, truly worried. Now, worry is a real thing. It's a natural instinct in life. It's a common fear, but we must realize Jesus is not a fan of worry. He's not. He desires us to live by this 11th commandment. Thou shalt not sweat it. I, I, I'm in control. I got this. Do you trust me? And he gives us some marvelous tools in his word to combat these worries. Let's see again what he says in verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? So Jesus starts this off by addressing life's most basic needs. What will we eat? What will we wear? What will we drink? Look, food is great. Food is a gift from God. And clothes are pretty cool. So remember back in junior high school, showing up eighth grade year, I'd spent all the money that my mom had given me for school clothes on one pair. You know what they were? 
Yeah. Overall shorts. Yeah, and a hypercolor shirt. Mm. Remember the kind you touch and it like changes color? So I remember showing up at school thinking I was a man, one flap down to that overall, shorts. Like, what's up? What's up, ladies? I'm here. You know, like those, cl- those clothes were pretty cool. But these are not the things that Jesus intended us to worry about. Look, he's, he, he knows we need to eat. He knows it. And look, he doesn't want us walking around in our birthday suits. He knows we need clothes. But he said, look, life is so much more. You don't need to worry. I got it. I got it. I can take care of you. And then he challenges us to do three things that we're going to see. One, flip worry for whimsy. Two, exchange worry for wonder. And three, turn worry into worship. First, flip worry for whimsy. He wants us to flip our worry for whimsy. Let's see what he says here in verse 26 through 27. Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? Let's talk about birds for a second. I love me some birds. And here's the thing, where we live in Tennessee, we have a beautiful front yard, and we have a lot of birds. And I remember one time I took a conference call. I was sitting on my front porch and took a conference call. And um, as I start to get on the call, the person on the other line was like, did you just turn on a nature soundtrack or something? Because I just hear birds. All, and I was like, yeah, those, that's my yard. No, I didn't turn on a soundtrack. You know, so these, these birds, I'm looking at them splashing in the mud puddle and floating around and dancing from tree to tree and, walk, you know, bouncing around in the grass and those things. And you know what? They are filled with whimsy. They are not worried. They're really not worried. But I also think that birds have a sense of humor. For example, I remember being at a men's conference, a huge men's conference in Irvine, California. There was probably 15,000, 20,000 guys. Massive. Huge, filled up a whole, whole stadium. And I remember being there and it was indoors and, and the guys, and the crazy thing was the guy speaking just told a story about how he was in high school and he was trying to impress a girl and then he reached his hand back and put it in a pile of dirt, a, a bird do. It was hilarious. We're like, ah uh-huh. And then within minutes though, I see a bird flying around in the st- inside. It was trapped and I was like, oh, that poor bird. Wow. But out of all 20,000 men, that bird decided to take a dump on me. (laughs) On me, of all people. I was like, I was admiring the bird. I felt bad for it. Booge. Are you kidding me? Come on, birdie. So they have these sense of humors. You know, they're filled with whimsy. But here's Jesus' point on the birds and their whimsy. He says, your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Are you not of more value than they? Sitting, you sitting in this room today, you have so much more value than the birds that God is so faithful to take care of. Which means we too can be filled with whimsy. Look, we have great value in the eyes of our Father You are precious in his sight. You are his poema. You're his poem. You're his workmanship. His his eye never blinks when he looks upon you. He's thinking about you at all times. His thoughts towards you are more than the sand and the sea. He's madly in love with you. He's thinking about you. Continue. You have value in the eyes of God. Every single one of you. 
Maybe you've heard this before, but I think it would encourage you to know that you're God's favorite. Yeah. You are. And maybe you're like, come on, Danny, God doesn't play favorites. Okay. You tell me one person in this world that he loves more than you. It's pretty reassuring, isn't it? You have value in the eyes of God. Great worth and great value, so much so that he went to that cross for you, for me. So if, if all of that is said and all of that is known and we know that we're so loved by our heavenly Father, that means we can be like the birds and trust him in a similar manner. God, you're gonna take care of me. I can be filled with whimsy. We are his workmanship, the apple of his eye. It's this deep-seated trust that God will take care of our needs. Like George Mueller. Maybe you guys have heard of George Mueller. He, he was in England, in Bristol, England. He oversaw an orphanage of hundreds of kids and, and uh, just a true hero of the faith. Well, there were times he would be trusting God to the point of their next meal. Orphans and, and orphan care and taking care of them. So much so he would, he would trust them to the point. There's a story. He laid out breakfast, the, everything on the table for breakfast, but there was no food. There was silverware, there were plates, there were bowls, there were cups, and there was no food. And so the kids sit there and they said, Mr. Mueller, uh, where's our breakfast? And he says, we're going to pray and thank the Lord for breakfast. Bowser said, Jesus, we thank you for how you will provide in your name. Amen. At that moment, just outside a, a bakery truck, a bread truck breaks down right in front of the orphanage. And all the kids run out and they're like, oh my goodness, this broke down. And the, and the owner of the truck said, I can't go anywhere. I have to get rid of this bread. Will you take it? Hallelujah. Right? The kids are like, Ugh. but it would happen again and again. You read his autobiography and you see like this stuff really happened. This stuff really happened because he had this deep-seated whimsy, this deep-seated trust in the Lord. Now, maybe you're sitting here today and you're thinking, look, I know God's going to take care of me. I know he's going to feed me and provide the basics. But what about the, maybe you're sitting here a little bit critical and you're like, what about the starving children in Africa or North Korea? And, and you're thinking of those things. Well, what about that? Well, maybe, just maybe, God wants you to play a part in their provision. Maybe he's asking you to be a whimsical giver to help those in need. Do you ever think about that? When you set out your bird feeder, you're actually being part of what God's doing and how he's providing for those birds. So too for starving children or starving people in nations outside of America. So I ask, worry or whimsy, which will it be? Worry or whimsy, which will it be? Philippians 4, 6 through 7 says this. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And this leads us to his next challenge, that we would exchange worry for wonder. We would exchange worry for wonder. Let's read verse 28 through 30. So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. 
Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So once again, Jesus is saying, why do you worry about clothing? Look, he gives examples of the lilies of the field. And if God can clothe the lilies of the field, and, and can he not clothe you as well? And he brings up Solomon in all his splendor, all his wealth. It couldn't even match up to one flower. So if we are filled with worry, if we're struggling with worry, I suggest we put the phone down for a second. We close the laptop. We begin to look up, look out, look around at the beauty that God has placed in front of us. The beauty and wonder that he has placed in front of us. And, and I think he'd be saying, take a look at my creation. When you're worried, just look up for a second and see what I can do. Flowers, for example. You have things like tulips and lilies and calla lilies and, and all of these things. They're, if you really begin to look at them, it's not just foo-foo. It's, like, it's actually a wonderful thing to behold a flower. And like, God, you didn't have to do that wonderful bit of creation. And then you think about food. Hallelujah for food. Like what a great gift of God. Last night I experienced in and out again. And it was amazing. I grew up in California. So I'm like, I know in and out. And so there I am locked in Nashville and there's no in and out. So I land and to my wonderful surprise, right next to within like three minutes of the rent-a-car where I got it, Guess what was just put up on Monday? In and out. Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so, and in and out shows it. So thankful for food. Really, though, whether it's barbecue, whether it's sushi, I mean, you tacos. You know, my favorite holiday of all is Thanksgiving because we just sit around and eat. It's amazing. I remember one time, we, oftentimes we'll, we'll spend Thanksgiving with the McKays, and um, it was a couple years back, and we were here, and my, my middle boy, they, they, had him, they had all the kids come up and say what they're thankful for, and, and, he, and he's like, I'm thankful I'm not a vegan. I was like, yeah, that's my boy. So I'm thankful for food, and, I, and, it, and when I begin to see and, and partake of God's creation of food, I'm like, God, okay, you got this. If you can give someone the wisdom to create in and out you can take care of me. And then there's things like fish, jellyfish, puffer fish, flying fish. Like, Lord, really? Yeah. If he can create a flying fish, like he can take care of me. He really can. He can take care of me. Or the features of our body trip out. I mean, bones in our circulatory system, our DNA is absurdly crazy. Listen to this fact that all the DNA in all your cells put together would be about twice the diameter of the solar system in your body. That's not so. So I think we need to come to this place of wonder and awe. You see, when we regain our sense of wonder and awe, it, it worries have this magical way of disappearing. When we look at the stars in place and we're like, wow, Lord, okay. I like what Ravi Zacharias said. He says, a sense of wonder is indispensable to having meaning in life. So I ask today, are we in awe of our Father? Not just in his creation and what he can do for us, but are we in awe of God himself? 
Are we in awe of God himself? I, I think of an example of this when the other night I was putting my, my youngest down, Josiah, and I like to call him Bubby. We all call him Bubby. And I was putting him down, and, and, and it was dark, and I'd already read to him, and I, he sometimes wants me to lie with him and tell him a story and those things. And so I was lying with him there in the dark, and, he, and then he just begins to touch my face, put his little paws, little hand on my face. And, he just, and he's like, you need to shave, Daddy. I'm like, okay. You know, and, and then he starts touching my nose. And then my eyelashes. And then my hair. I'm not doing that. I'm not going there. So, and then my hair. And my ears. And he's just like really in awe of his dad. And I felt so honored. I was like, oh, buddy. And when was the last time we reached up to the Lord that way? I'm like, Lord, I just want to, I want to know more about you. Who are you? Show me your face. Show me your beauty. You know, not a, the most beautiful thing about this, though, is not just the adoration and affection we can reach out and, and just be in awe of him, but he feels the same way about you. He feels the same way about you because he's thinking about you all the time. Reaching out, oh, my precious daughter. Oh, my son, my son reaching out with tender, loving, nail-scarred hands, saying, I'll take care of you. I can hold your worries. I can hold your fears. I'm big enough. I'm big enough. Thou shalt not sweat it. Let's respond to his wonder and respond to his greatness. Jesus goes on in verse 30, and God closed the grass of the field. He closed the grass of the field. He can put it in place. Now, speaking of grass, you guys are familiar with the statement, the grass is always greener on the other side? Well, that's actually true in my neighborhood. My next-door neighbor, his grass is on hit. I mean, it is just gloriously fluorescent. And I'm like, what are you doing? Is your grass on steroids or what? I mean, it's just crazy beautiful. So the grass really is greener on the other side. But you know what? One of the, one of the very things that adds to our worry, and it's a very thief of joy, is comparison comparison. My, I grew up, my, my dad would always encourage me in, in this, and he'd say, look, comparisons are odious, Danny. They just, it doesn't smell good when we compare. I like what Ann Voskamp said about comparison. Comparison is a thug that robs your joy, but it's even more than that. Comparison makes you a thug who beats down somebody or your own soul. Comparison's a thug, and it's one to add to our worries and take away from our joy. But we don't need to compare any longer. We are loved, and we can know that God will take care of us. God will take care of us. So I ask, will we allow God to flip our worry for whimsy? Will we allow God to exchange our worry for wonder? And a quote by Francis Chan leads us to our final challenge this morning. He says, it's crazy if you think about it. The God of the universe, the creator of nitrogen and pine needles, galaxies and E minor, loves us with the radical, unconditional, self-sacrificing love. And what is our typical response? We go to church, sing songs, and try not to cuss. Seriously. Let's be in awe and wonder of God. And let's flip the, that, that worry for wonder. And let's exchange that worry. And let's turn that worry into worship. 
Let's turn that worry into worship. Look what Jesus says in verse 31 through 33. Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Look, your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Our Heavenly Father, He's massive, and He's strong, and He's holy, and He's wonderful. And think about the angels for a second, Revelation 4, when they're saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Do you think they are worried? No. Because they're worshiping. Let's turn our worry into worship, because He is worthy of worship. Again and again, they're saying this. They're, they're bowing down. We are not worried. We are filled with awe and wonder of who you are. You are worthy of worship. You see, knowing the greatness of his father, Jesus challenges us to turn our worry into worship. As he says in verse 33, seek first the kingdom of God. Let him have your heart's affections. Let him be the first one that you turn to. Don't let him be your plan B. Let him be your, your plan Let God be the essence of of what you do and what you wake up to. And I want to give you guys a practical challenge that's really helped me in life, especially in the technological age that we live in. Because these little devices that live so close to our hearts and so close to our lives. I call it the epidemic of text neck. Seriously. I mean, I've talked to chiropractors and I said, yes, since cell phones have been around, like, we have way more business, way more business. So I want to give you guys a practical challenge, a way that you can seek first the kingdom. Outside of using it as an alarm clock, don't touch your phone for the first hour of your day. Try it. And some of us are like, mm, 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 mm. that's a lot, Danny. That's a lot. I don't know about that. I got work to do. Yeah, well, maybe you need to get up a little earlier. I don't know, but it has helped me dramatically because as soon as you open that up, you see an email, you see a bank account, you see something and you're like, "Ah," or you see a social media post and you're like, "Ah, why do they have so many friends? Ah, I want that many friends and that many likes when I post a cool picture. I posted a cool picture last night and only got four likes. Oh my goodness, right? So what if we didn't even look at our phone Outside of the alarm clock, because I know that's like our, you know, watch these days. So just turn off that alarm clock, and then you got to just don't even look at it. I got a friend who actually doesn't even look at his phone until he's, until he's left his house. It's like, come on. Come on. That's just a practical way that we can seek first the kingdom of God. You see, because a heart of worship equals a shift in our priorities. It directs us away from a life of worry. A heart of worship equals a heart of trust leading to freedom from worry. So I ask, will we live with worry or whimsy? Will we live with worry or wonder? Will we live with worry or worship? I say we trust. Worry, concern, doubt or fear, often just a breath away from ears, distance between us. When clouded thoughts block the sound of your whisper, your reminder 
that I can rest. I confess, you know what's best. For me, for these three boys of mine, I stop, I sigh. How will you provide for my beautiful bride? But I trust we'll be fine. Somehow, some way. Take today. Tomorrow may never come. So this worry can be left alone to fret on its own terms while I turn my face to you, my eyes to your strength, my arms to your grace. My heart takes its place at a seat next to royalty. My king will take care of me even if I can't see what awaits or what will be. I take a breath. I trust, I rest. You know what's best. In closing, we see in verse 34, therefore do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. One day at a time, friends. Today, March 3rd, is a day unlike any other. And it's a gift. And it's a gift. Let's receive the gift that God has given us to celebrate the life that he's entrusted to us. I, I take this wisdom from my grandpa. I remember I'd see him like, hey, grandpa, how are you doing? And he'd be like, this is the best day of my life. And I was like, awesome, wow. You're like in your late 80s. That's amazing. And then I'd see him, you know, like a year later, hey, grandpa, how you doing? He's like, best day of my life. Never had a day like today. I was like, dude, now he's 94. Hey, grandpa, how you? best day of my life. Wow. Wow. So March 3rd, 2019, very well can be the best day of your life. Why not? God's on the throne. He's breathed life into you. So we can take that deep breath because he knows what's best. Let's pray.